0: Welcome back. Welcome into Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. I am Mike Casaza, joined in a second by Chris Anderson. We're both eligible for this podcast today, and we'll be back on September 26th for the next time the Mountaineers play. They'll be 1-0, which is something that Iowa State and Kansas State cannot say. Uh, 56-10 is probably what a lot of people expected. It's not very exciting, but the reminders in the Big 12 say it could always be worse and headlines this morning said this could have been a lot more difficult than it actually was. Chris, down eleven starters, and for much of this game, not eleven starters, excuse me. down eleven players, some of them starters. For much of this game, it did not appear to be that way.
1: No. Uh, and, and Neil Brown touched on it in the post game. Fast starts for both sides of the ball, which was nice. Um, I had predicted before that it might come out a little rusty, especially after seeing how bad Eastern Kentucky was against Marshall. might come out a little too confident. Um, it, it didn't look like it. It looked like they came out ready to go. They had a game plan. They executed it well to start. And you know, a couple little bumps later, mostly on special teams and defense. But uh, for the most part, this is went the way it should have gone. It, it, this is the way it should have been. It, it's a complete blowout. Getting a lot of guys on the field and and performing uh, the plan that the coaches put in place early.
0: Point spread was 44 and a half points on William Hill. And if you were betting on that, a lot of people are going to bet to cover when the home team is playing an FCS team. It shouldn't have happened. A targeting penalty late in the game extends the final drive for West Virginia. They go in punch it in. They win by 46. So some people make some money. Some people lose some money on that. And that truth be told was the only drama for, I would say fifty minutes of this game. I mean, it just seemed like West Virginia was a freight train that wasn't going to be stopped. Despite some obstacles there, I do want to go to one thing that you said and one thing that you wrote about. I can't remember if this was what caught Neil Brown off guard in his Zoom once or not, but you had pointed this out to refresh the staff for me. When West Virginia plays from the front, very different from when West Virginia plays from behind and West Virginia played from behind a ton last year. I'm not saying that that's indicative of what we can expect all season because Eastern Kentucky is not going to be like anybody they play. But it's a team that really had to get out on the front foot and be in an advantageous position to at least get accustomed to that. Um, What were those numbers last year that you can remember? And what do you think we, I don't know, maybe like what type of a palette they developed today?
1: So I'm pulling them up right now. I do recall that it was West Virginia was outscored by over 100 points in the first half last year. Um, And the things had changed kind of towards the end of the season. In those last three games, I think, you know, where Dagi was the starter. Again, it wasn't solely because of Dagi because the differences were with the defense and different things, too. But um, I think those last three games of the year where West Virginia won two and nearly pulled off the upset against Oklahoma State for a clean sweep, got fans excited, got fans, uh, you know, excited about the momentum that was building. And in those three games, West Virginia went into halftime plus four. Yeah, plus four. Uh, did not trail in any of those three games. They led by one, led by three, and were tied in those three contests. And then in the other games, they went into halftime by a combined score of negative 85. They trailed by a total of 85. So getting out to a quick start, I felt like, was was key, something West Virginia could do. And you say, hey, yeah, it's FCS team. Well, you know what? Uh, the same thing last year, and that didn't happen in the first game either. So this was important to get out to that fast start.
0: This is over when it's twenty one nothing. You agree? Yes. What did you think from the first three possessions there? Was there anything was there anything that you said, uh-huh, I thought so, or hmm, I like this. I hadn't thought about that. There anything observationally that you take away from offense or defense?
1: On offense you know, the run game, again, how much can we really take from this? Uh, the blocking, they should have been blocking. They should have been cleared. And I said it in my my three key matchups. I'm not really going to be watching the blocking so much because West Virginia should dominate there. I'm watching to see if the running backs could make guys miss in space. Could they get past that second level on their own? When they get one-on-one, are they going to miss? make a guy miss, run him over, something, break a tackle? And I felt like Liddy Brown and Alex Singfield – Did that today? Uh, I think that was a good, a positive sign. Something we could actually take from this game that might shine some light on the future.
0: I think they're fast on offense. I think they're fast on defense too. Offense, that's not a surprise. You start Sam Brown very fast. You roll in Sam James faster. Certainly not a slouch as a backup. I'm not sure why Sam James was a backup, um, but that was the order for the receivers today. Uh, Brown is quick. Sinkfield's quicker. They were pretty rapid between snaps. They were crisp. I we mean, four plays to go 82 yards in their first drive. They're in the end zone quickly. That was promising. Um, practices, you're really drilled to go bang, 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 whistle to whistle um, as quickly as you can. So that was good. They took that from the practice field and scrimmages to the game. Their defense, I thought, really moved around. Maybe Kentucky isn't terribly fast. Uh, maybe they were kind of hesitant because they knew they didn't want to get pummeled again. But you watch not only guys like Cowan or Alonzo would die fly around like you expect I, I really thought pooler moved around and dante stills looked good dante stills is a guy that notably we had not heard a whole lot about we'd heard about you know he, he lost some weight and gotten sick and they were trying to get weight back he looked pretty good i thought um defensively i think that they can move around they can make some plays in particular chris in your wheelhouse here at the linebacker position that was promising
1: yeah, I, I again, I, I always catch flack for this because I said, you know, people seem to think that I'm down on Dylan Tonkery. I'm not down on Dylan Tonkery. I just think there there are positions that he's better suited for. I think he's better as a will. I think it gets him moving forward more, gets him to the backfield. Um, and when they, he was named as the Mike sim, uh, Mike linebacker, uh, the starter, I said in my piece about four starters that could change, I felt like that was pretty much ceremonial. And I thought Tony fields would take over. It took two plays for Dylan Tonkery to come out and Tony fields to come in today, two plays. And by the end of the day, <laughs> all, and, and it, it wasn't permanent. Uh, they kept rotating back in Tonkery would come back in fields would come in. They'd swap back and forth. But at the end of the day, Tony fields, 10 tackles, Dylan Tonkery, zero. Um, I, I don't want to say that completely proves my point. Because, again, this is this is Eastern Kentucky. But I feel like Tonkery's better at that will spot where the play forces him forward and Fields does a great job at that, Mike, where he kind of propels himself towards the ball, towards the action, and gets in there for a tackle.
0: I don't want to be negative and talk about special teams, but they should have given up a, a kickoff return touchdown. The holding was not necessary. That um, should have been a touchdown, and they held, which is why Eastern Kentucky is Eastern Kentucky. But that was bad. Alex Singfield botched a punt. Um, there were just some other things. A missed field goal. I think you chalk a lot of that up. Maybe not the missed field goal, but you chalk a lot of that up to first game stuff. Um, beyond that, honestly, I, I saw this from you, and I hope that people will direct this at you. You were critiquing Jared Dagey's touch on the deep balls. Um, I, nitpicking, which, I mean, that's, nitpicking, that's, nitpicking. I mean, that's how fine-toothed we are, right? I mean, this was yes. for what mattered and who mattered. This was, I mean, I would say above – where it had to be or what you expected, especially with some of the pregame stuff that we'll get to in a minute. I can't think of too many negatives here.
1: No, uh, I was going to say we, as the game was going on and I know we're about to do this podcast afterwards, I, I'm keeping notes of things I want to discuss. And I, I set a pretty high bar for this. Cause again, what are we taking from this game? But it was positive. Uh, the Letty Brown, Alex Sinkfield running ability, the way they made second level guys miss the way they were moving and cutting how fast they were um, and the Tony fields on defense I thought was good. I did was there's another one. I'm going to leave the next one to you. Cause I know this was, this was to mm-hmm. borrow a phrase in your wheelhouse, something you discussed during the game and brought up during the game, but the diggy deep passes were, was the one negative and it's not even a negative. I, I has mentioned it. It's just a nitpick. I, I mean, he was his middle, his medium throws were excellent. There were a couple throws that I thought, oh, my God, all I see are white jerseys, Eastern Kentucky players. That's all I see. And he just right over top of them, right into his man's hands, right in rhythm. He looked great there. The deep passes, I feel like the timing's off. I couldn't tell if it was there's too much air on the ball or he was throwing it a half a second too late. But on, on multiple deep throws, his receiver was kind of waiting for the ball to get there.
0: One moment I want to talk about, too. This is I meant to ask Daggy this in the postgame. I didn't get a chance to. It went very fast. But um, Bryce Wheaton had the great camp, and I think a lot of us wondered if he was the guy that was great against his teammates and great in camp, and you got to see it in the field. And he duffs a, a deep ball that should have been first and goal at the five. Uh, he drops a second touchdown pass. And on the next play, similar route, he just runs it more shallow. you went right back to him, too. I think you're talking about TCOB on offense, um, taking care of your brothers, Mm -hmm. James is fine. You get Sam Brown going. Um, I mean, he got the ball to who he wanted to, but it seemed like that touchdown by Wheaton right after the drop too. And that was after, you know, a miss on a shot earlier in the game, kind of thought that was a big moment for Wheaton where he was going to have something good going into, you know, two weeks here where things are different and man, if he has a bad game, you know, Sean Ryan coming after him again is, you know, do you move, I don't know, Sam Brown on the other side, because you have him and Sam James. I don't know, but kind of thought that was a big moment there for him and for Dagey in particular to kind of spot, hey, let's go back to him. We know he's good. Let's make sure everybody else knows he's good.
1: I like it, and, that, and, and a good quarterback should do that. And maybe he did that earlier. You mentioned Sam James um, mm-hmm. missed the first two drives, uh, reasons unexplained. But he came in on the third drive, and can you guess who Jarrett Dagey's next four passes were targeted to?
0: Sam but what James. happened on those two drives? You pointed this out, though.
1: Yeah, well, the first drive was three straight passes to Sam James, and then they had a punt. And then his next pass was on the ensuing the fourth drive. I think they had done a couple runs. Um, and then he threw his fourth pass, which was the touchdown pass to James. But, yeah, the, the two punts West Virginia had, zero runs. Seven passes, zero runs. So uh, just... I don't know. It, it's a weird situation. What do you really want to run against Eastern Kentucky when you, you're averaging 10 yards per run? Do you just want to keep running the ball, or do you want to try to practice other things? But um, it, it did catch my eyes. 0 for 7, or not 0 for 7, but excuse me, 0 runs, 7 passes on the two bones.
0: Yeah. Uh, James leads the team, 7 targets, 5 receptions, 72 yards, a touchdown. He only had 2 touchdowns last season. Uh, but right after him, Wheaton, 7 targets, 4 catches, 67 yards, and a touchdown. What do we have with Sam Brown here? I think that we kind of had our eyes bulge a little bit when Jared Parker talked about Brown as effusively as he did the other day. Um, I checked the board, and people had heard in the radio that Brown was going to start, and the insinuation was that it would be as a slot receiver, which, if you've been listening, is my dream because I think he's speedy, shifty, and if you put him on the slot with James and Wheaton, you've got something there, and I was wondering if they were going to do that maybe as a result of Simmons not being there, it turns out he plays the outside and does pretty well too.
1: Yeah, that was a good spot for him. I think I, I liked your idea of him on the inside as a TJ Simmons type, bigger body on the interior. Um, but you're right. We called this. You you pointed out the thing about Gerard Parker, Jared Parker's comments about him. said that's, you know, guys just don't say that. And he just was in love with him. And then I said, you know, there's always – There's always that guy that's at camp, and they try not to mention him because he's a freshman or he's a new guy, and they don't want to talk about how good he is because he is young, and they don't want to heap too much praise on him. And we predicted it would be Sam Brown, and here he is right there starting the very first game and catching multiple passes on the first two drives and looking completely natural.
0: Yeah, some good side adjustment stuff, too. The first one was that 22-yard gain on— I don't know if it was a third down or a second long, but he just angled inside and got it. Four targets, four catches, 43 yards. Doesn't sound impressive. I don't think he played at all in the second half. Um, so, again, that's, a good, that's good work for him there, too. Let's talk about how dumb I am. You want to do that?
1: <laughs> I, I would very much enjoy
0: that, yes. Uh, I wrote a lot about tight ends. Um, West Virginia, I thought, could really exploit Eastern Kentucky's defense based on what I saw from the Marshall game. And I devoted a film thing to this. I wrote about how the tight ends can help the running game. Uh, West Virginia runs for 329 yards with basically a fullback playing tight end. Uh, but by the way, I thought Jackson Knipper was very good. Uh, didn't do a lot. It's not exotic stuff and it's not going to be heralded stuff, but he was good at what he did. That's all they wanted him to do. But they had a fullback playing tight end. They used Charles Finley, but not really in a blocking capacity. But hey, they ran for 330 yards without a tight end. So, so much for that. They didn't have any type of tight end play action presence and they still hit some play action passes too. That's a good sign for your offensive. You take away the things that you build off of to run certain plays and concepts and you, you still succeed. Uh, you can zig another zag. You can box with your left hand with your right hand and so on and so forth. That's good, especially for this offense at this point of the season. Um, in addition to being so shorthanded in general. So I like that too. Uh, do you remember our surprises from Friday's podcast about the people that we said might be really good? We'll see what happens.
1: Well, aside from Sam Brown, who else was it that we were talking about?
0: Bryce Brand, who did not
1: play. Uh, let, let, yeah, let's be clear here. I said Sam Brown.
0: You yeah, said no. Brand.
1: Okay, I just yeah. to make sure. I just wanted to hear you say it, if you don't mind. That's
0: fine. I I had heard from people two weeks ago that he's really good, and they liked him, and they thought he was just a different cat on the corner um he's not big like Cowan or even Bartlett but he's just got a nose for things i don't know what happened uh, i don't i had to look at it now i'll get it right in front of me here now but didn't play i'm not sure he was on the dress list so oh for 2 for me there i'm sure you're enjoying this
1: well let let let's let's try to build you back up here mike see i break you down we gonna build you back up now you did call uh, uh, maybe the i would say maybe the standout on the defensive side of the ball today you called this. You wrote this. You wrote a story because I I pulled a quote from it uh, earlier today when I was writing something else back in May about the most underrated players on this team, the most uncovered, I think, is what you called it, on mm-hmm. this team. And the very first player you mentioned was Alonzo Adai, who before he went out, he went out early third quarter. I don't even know if he played in the second half, but when he went out, he was the team's leading tackler. Tony Fields ended up with 10 after that, but he was at seven broke up a pass and it made a highlight reel interception. And as you noted, was just all over the field.
0: Thank you. (laughs) I just heard good things about him all last year that he was a terror on the scout team. And and he was, they knew he was going to be good wherever they put him. I mean, he was, I think he was positioned as a cornerback and they said, Oh man, we love the corner abilities in our free safeties. He's a little bit bigger. Is he as fast as some of the guys who could play corner? I don't know. I would assume not. But he's got the size and the instinct to play there. And, and this the thing about this, too, you can be a fine cornerback and a better safety because you don't want to keep the dog in the cage. It's kind of like the saying. If you're good at flying around the field making plays, why would you confine that person to one side of the field? Um, kind of a similar thing with Teron Matthew in the NFL, too. He's a playmaker, so why lock him on one side of the field? I'm not comparing the two, but if you saw that interception, He's just kind of got his nose maybe where it shouldn't be, and even if he's supposed to be watching that guy, I mean, he sees it coming, and he darts underneath it and makes a spectacular play, um, a cornerback play, heck, a receiver play. Is that what you expect out of your free safety? Probably not, but that's the benefit of having that coverage skills guy, that longer guy, bigger guy, has some size to him, but a guy who can really fly around and make some plays too.
1: You want to talk about something else that's great, especially as i am we're recording this right after the game. I'm seeing something come across my – News feed here that um, Oklahoma is going to be quote significantly shorthanded um, Cut positive COVID tests contact tracing and suspensions, but Obviously West Virginia is without 11 and as as we reported and as Neil Brown reiterated multiple times those 11 suspensions absolutely nothing to do with COVID related issues nothing like they weren't they didn't test positive. They didn't put anybody at risk by doing anything but Zero positive cases currently on the team. I, I, I I'm assuming they didn't announce anything, but there was nobody else that we would think was going to play that didn't play. Um, so and we've again all day long. I, I'm bringing this up because I'm saying just a tremendous job by the entire program from the staffers to the players to the trainers, everybody, they, they were very diligent about this. And all day long we're seeing games being played, but we're seeing stuff like what I just talked about with Oklahoma. I think Georgia Southern listed like 30, 33, 33 players that were ineligible. And again, yeah, the 11, but none of that was COVID related. So it's remarkable the job they've done. And, and with Mon County being like one of the worst rates currently in the country, it's, it's a, amazing job by this staff and everyone involved. And I just wanted to get that out there.
0: Do we want to go to the suspension story? Yeah. you want to say that for the very end?
1: <laughs> let's go ahead. Let, let's go ahead and go there and get ready to wrap it up. What I mean, is there something else
0: I want to discuss? I, I bury Iowa state? I want to bury Iowa state. Okay. And, yeah. and I want to, I want to, I told you so Kansas state.
1: Okay. Are you doing an, I told you so to me. I mean, I knew Kansas state sucked, but, uh, Iowa state, I think I was, uh, on the Brock Purdy for big 12 player of the year bandwagon uh, pushing Iowa state as the number two team in the league, maybe so mm-hmm. not a great start. Heard, for me.
0: heard some whispers that they were going to be shorthand on offense or that a receiver and Charlie Kolar, who's their all big 12 tight end. Um, and that, that's a good team. They played like that. That team is well coached and they had a lot of returning skill and that's going to be a team that's going to give Iowa state trouble. Um, listen, the Matt Campbell fan club is broad and I think credible. It, it belongs. How many times is this going to happen? I don't know. I'm
1: in my mind. I guess it's just because of the last two years with Iowa State and what they've done to West Virginia. To me, they feel like world beaters, and Matt Campbell is amazing. And then I go back and I, because I think I started to tweet something about, how Iowa state has kind of just owned West Virginia. And then I was like, is that true though? Is that just recently? And I went back, look, you know, West Virginia had won like four, I think it was four in a row before these last two years. So, I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. they've kind of had their number the last two seasons, but last year was a, Hey, you know, Iowa state was supposed to be good. West Virginia was supposed to not be good. And, and so really you're just kind of looking at that 2018 team where they really just confused the heck out of Will Greer in that offense. So, Maybe they, Hey, hey. May, maybe there's some overreaction in college football um, to to what's happened, and he's not God's gift to college football. It's possible.
0: Lost his openers in 2016, 2018, and 2020. Uh, has had a hard time with Iowa non conference play. And by the way, last year they played Louisiana Monroe or Louisiana Lafayette today. Louisiana Lafayette, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Last year they beat Louisiana Minerva 72-20. Uh, and also, I said they lost their openers in 2016-18. and 18. They did. They went to overtime against Northern Iowa last year. Uh, three overtimes. So, I don't know what happens here, but this is on pace for Iowa State to be like 2-2 two and two and finish 7-3 and three and have a whole bunch of momentum for next season, which is the exact same thing that happens every <laughs> year. Um, I guess the bad thing is, the good thing is, that this has not hurt them in the Big 12 standings, but It can't be very good. Uh, Kansas State. takes. Listen, if you're replacing five offensive linemen a lot of your skill and you're in the second year of the coach, that's still a lot of trouble continuity there, too. And They're playing a team that had a game under its belt and that figured some things out in the first game, too. Uh, Not a good start there. And if you're looking, again, we've talked about this, the top four, somebody was going to tumble. And the bottom, we figured six, was pretty close. You know, maybe we'll have a better idea after Kansas and Coastal Carolina at 10 o'clock tonight, but... We really did kind of figure five, six, seven, eight. Someone there could jump. We may have our candidate for the four, the top four, someone who falls. And if you watch West Virginia today, their their top 11-ish is okay. Their, their top gear is okay. And they have two weeks to get ready for Oklahoma State, which is quite an opportunity for them. Oklahoma State off this week plays next week uh, is not going to have the same amount of preparation for West Virginia. I don't know how much that West Virginia showed that Mike Gundy and uh, his staff can look at too, but um, Hey, it's on the table for West Virginia to make a jump here. I don't think you're scared of Iowa State. against stay at this point. You play him later, but right now you're not scared of him.
1: Mike, I am so glad to have you in full Homer mode. I mean, are, are, we, are we ready to go break <laughs> into Here's Here's the real question that we need to answer today. Can one of these mountaineers win the Heisman, or do you think it's going to be split uh, the vote's going to be split between three different players? That's the issue I think we're facing mm-hmm. with this offense. Yeah, I said three. I'm talking Alex Sinkfield too, so it's a problem. It is a problem. I'm, you're not buying uh, it still not bubbling buying it. over
0: the Grayson. i'm still I'm still bubbling over the Grayson Malashevich cameo and the outpouring from Twitter, and then uh, Freddie Brown got in the game too, so these are all victories for me at the end.
1: Yeah, that was that was big. I, I saw him make his little hesitation move and juke move on the punt return, and, and all I thought about was just how excited you were to have seen that happen.
0: Actually, can we go over like two more things, and then we'll get into the suspensions? Because I, I did have these circled. I want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, the corner, uh-huh. I, I I couldn't tell you who it was. I, I think like Nick for, Nick Troy Fortune played. I feel like he played every snap, and I don't think Miller came off the field. And I was told last night, I was on the phone with people last night, that they're not pulling Fortune out the field unless they have to, and that they they were kind of like, hey, let's keep tabs on Miller and his knee. Like, it's been a while since he played a game. An FBS game is different than a junior college game. He's off ball last season. The knee is a knee. You know, who knows? So let's see who goes in third. It wasn't going to be David Vincent O'Coley. I did not see a lot of uh, preseason Daryl Porter out in the field. I think Jaido was out there only as a spear late in the game. He's got game a couple athletes, tackles the time I, I noticed him was, Yeah. And the only time I even saw Jackie Matthews was when he got that bogus penalty for, like, lost his helmet and I guess tapped the guy on the shoulder at the end of a play when he wasn't even in it. You're not supposed to do anything if you have your helmet on the field, I guess. Um, I don't I don't know what we're doing there. I know who the two are, I'm, and you have two weeks to figure this out, but you're going to Stillwater. They're going to air it out. You're going to need three on the field at times. You're definitely going to need three to play the game. Um, that's going to be high on the list. And then the offensive line, my goodness. Did you see some of those names and combinations out there?
1: There were guys all over the place. Guys guys that we have not even heard of playing certain spots, guys that played multiple other spots at different times already in their young careers. So to see those kind of combinations was was pretty jarring. I mean, Blaine, when was Bryce, when was Blaine Scott as a center? When was when did that happen?
0: That's kind of a good thing because I'd heard that they were they're kind of running out of ideas for him, and I didn't know they had him at center. And all of a sudden, he's the number two in there snapping. Like I think it was Frazier until they handed it to Scott. I don't think Mays played center at all. Correct me if I'm wrong. He played right and left tackle, and I thought he looked pretty good standing guys up at left tackle. Um, and then your guards, uh, Parker Moore is your backup right guard. I think they kind of like him as a guard, certainly more than a tackle right now. But he'd been the backup on the right. Your backup on the left behind Gmitter was God. I don't even know who it was. It turns out that when they're trying to get guys in there and get them reps and see what they can look at, they put Parker on the left. They put Jordan White, a true freshman, at right guard. They played two true freshmen today on the offensive line, and I don't think suffered for it.
1: I don't either. I, again, we've already talked about how, how good Frazier looked, and he's gotten a lot of pub. And we were both, I assume both of us, caught off guard a little bit when Neil Brown mentioned Jordan White um, in his first radio show saying that he would play and neither of us had even considered him for our seventy man travel roster when we did that exercise. But there he was right there. And I thought he I thought he played well. I, guess I, I wasn't exactly paying attention to how many starters Eastern Kentucky still had in the game at that point. But I didn't notice anybody getting through uh through Jordan yeah. White's side. I thought he did
0: well. Uh Nick Malone and Tyler Connolly also played. Those are walk ons and we kind of figured that they were going to go too deep. And have swing guys that can do some things. You wouldn't need them, but if you're going to try to get to like a true two deep, you're going to need probably some of these walk-ons who've been here for a couple of years to play. Um, I don't know what the future holds for them, but I think it was good for them to be out there. I think they kind of like Connolly, um, but like he he was like a legitimate D one prospect. He signed with Toledo, got out of his NLI, and ended up being a preferred walk-on here. Malone's been here for a while and looked like he was okay, could handle himself a left tackle. Well, um, Malone was I'm the not same sure way. Where. Sorry
1: to interrupt, but he was he was committed to Pitt on scholarships. That's right, mm-hmm. and that's he right. committed and, and then just chose to walk on at West Virginia. So these are D one level scholarship guys that we're talking Oops. about here. They just happen to be walk ons. Yeah,
0: and that's the way you got to get to eighty five. And Brown has said that too. You're going to have to you're going to have to land some big fish in your walk ons and hope they work. Uh, that'll be interesting too. Uh, final roster notes here. Um, and again, I don't know what it means to those guys in twenty twenty, but if things happen, if COVID happens, if injuries happen, if eleven guys get suspended again. they they played and you kind of think, all right, we can build on this from here and do something in the future too. Um, Guys who did not dress today, no Jaquay Hubbard and no Scotty Young. TBD on this, and I have no idea why this is still happening. Um, Just just let them play. I think that that's the best thing I could think of right now, but it's probably not that easy, but I haven't heard anything new about those two.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's wild. Uh, No clue. Again, I think we mentioned a few days ago that I was told – Hubbard might not get an answer for a few weeks, and that was a week ago. So we're talking into the season a couple games before he ever even hears back. Um, so you really can't, if you're a coach, you can't be dedicating too many reps to him if you're not sure if he's gonna play, or even if he gets eligible, it won't be till week four, or week five. So that's that's a tough spot. But Scotty Young, I don't see why that's so difficult. That was early on that they started doing that, but Again, who knows what's going on with the NCAA? Uh, the, the example I gave the other day, Chris Blake from Florida, who was transferring back to Syracuse and had committed mm-hmm. back in January and still hadn't gotten an answer, finally got his answer this week, and the answer was no. Which makes so, no sense. Which makes zero sense. So, I, again, I, I don't understand it. We, For years, we've been making jokes that it's just throw darts at a dartboard, and that's what the NCAA is doing. And each year, they – keep kind of proving us right. So don't, don't hold your breath waiting for answers on those guys.
0: I think if you transferred before they canceled football in the PAC 12, the Mac, the mountain West and the big 10, you should get the waiver. If you transferred after that, but you're coming from one of those affected conferences or schools, you could be UMass, you could be UConn, you could be New Mexico, for example. Um, then you should probably get the waiver, too. Like, if you're from one of those affected schools and you transfer after, you should get the waiver. Guys in between, I don't know. It's probably case by case. That would affect not Scotty Young. That means he's good. Hubbard and especially Dobson, I think are going to be unique cases. I'm not sure. Um, Dobson, not dressed today. He's one of the 11 players suspended for the game. It's something of a who's who and a who's that, I guess, for players. But you're missing starters on offense. Junior Yuzabu, Chase Barrett, TJ Simmons. And then Mike O'Loughlin or T.J. Banks, you're also missing kind of like some second line, third line guys, Tariq Stewart, uh, Zach Davis, that's here for the walk-on, and then David Vincent Coley, J.P. Hadley. Um, So the whole gamut, long snapper, walk-on lineman, junior college transfers, four-star recruit, starters, Um, it's a great story (laughs) because you got some quality as well as quantity in this too. But 11 players is a chunk. When What do we count in the dress list? 66? There were more than 66 players in uniform, but they submitted a dress list with 66 players. That's thin because you would have had 11 more. They probably had about, wait, what would you say, about 85 in uniform, I guess, but down 11 for sure. And, and some thick hits there, I guess. But we talked about performances for guys who filled in Frazier, some of the slot guys. Um, is this a bad thing? Or is this just kind of a... Slap on the wrist, one game thing, and bring it back in tomorrow.
1: Sounds like it's not much. It sounds like a slap on the wrist. I mean, even Brown said afterwards, was like the moment that the, the game clock hit zero, suspension, the suspension was up. And he noted that all of those guys have still been going through all team activities and practices. So it sounds like it was truly hey, you're just not playing in this game. You're still going to practice, still going to help the team, you're still going to learn, going to go to team meetings all this stuff and you'll be right back in the mix next week but you will not start this game and i don't think it was a bad thing obviously if mm. if any game that it's going to happen it's going to you want it to be eastern kentucky and not oklahoma state in 2 weeks and this is kind of like the the thing when i asked brown about what's you going to kind of keep after god willing covid is over and they return to quote unquote normal football normal practice normal preparation and he said you know he kind of liked those split split squad practices because it just gave guys so many reps. And he thinks that's why some of those young guys look so well. Those guys are now getting game reps and, you know, obviously it's against Eastern Kentucky, but still gaining experience, getting better. It's not going to be the first time they're out there. If they get asked to go in say three weeks from now due to injury or something.
0: Let's talk about what we know here. Um, Had nothing to do with COVID. I think that, When you see a headline this week and next week and maybe any time during the season, a blank team without X number of players, our minds are going to jump to the bubble, the virus, contact tracing. This was not that. They had zero players test positive out of players and staff out of 169, I was told, on Wednesday. And all the antigen tests, as as far as I know, came back negative um, on Friday. Also, props to EKU for making it. Got to give them credit for that. But there were some rumors going around that players had wandered and had been at a party or at parties, and that this got captured on social media. And, I don't know, an administrator, a coach, somebody had seen it and said, "Uh uh-uh, I told you, sacrifice social activities for the greater good of the team in the season here. And if you step out of bounds, you're going to pay. Brown was very clear about that. Uh, either late last month, early this month, I can't remember exactly when, when he said, we're going to lose guys along the way, and if people make repeated mistakes, they're not going to be part of this. And the implication was he was going to have zero tolerance. If you did something to jeopardize the team, the season, the sport, you can't be part of it. This was not that. That was made very clear to me. This was not any type of bubble burst. This was not anybody going out to a house party coming back and working out with their teammates and then getting caught on Twitter or Instagram. I haven't been in a house party night before. I don't know exactly what it was. Um, I've been told what it wasn't. It wasn't that the best that I can give you is that there is some sort of rite of passage. There's some sort of a tradition at some point of the preseason here and something there went a little bit out of bounds and some people caught wind of it. And, guys had to pay um it's not hazing but it's not something that brown could know about and condone and he had to be punitive here and i was told if they had opened against florida state or eastern kentucky it would have been 11 guys without a helmet no matter what um how severe is it all 11 as far as i could tell were at the game i think i checked off every one of them um typically if you're pissed at a guy you're not going to let him be on the sideline uh, I think that's probably an indication of maybe how severe this wasn't. Um, there's, there's a lot of people who are talking about one specific story that may be accurate. I'm not going to talk about it because I can't cooperate that as a truth. It may be true, um, but it's not that serious. It's illegal <laughs> in some senses, and that's not good. But I think one missed game, and not only that, there's going to be some some prices you pay away from this you're probably running stadium steps or law school hill you're working out at 4 30 and then 6 30 something like that i would imagine there's going to be some type of hell you got to pay for that i think if you do that for a couple of weeks and you miss a game that's probably the right toll right
1: yeah i think so and i again the assumption here as soon as it came out was a lot of people like you said oh COVID. and eh, nope we specifically said not COVID. but then people assuming oh these guys put people at risk of COVID by, like you said, going to parties, doing all this stuff, but it doesn't sound like that. And and Brown said that too. And he said, you know, I love all these guys and these guys are going to be contributors here for a long, long time, including being a major part of this year's team. So it sounds like, you know, he's being an adult and this was just one of those kind of disappointed dad situations where you're like, you just, I'm so mad, I'm mad and I'm going to punish you. But then we're all going to move on, and I hope you learn from it. And that's and that's that. And I think this will probably be the last we ever hear of it.
0: Disappointing in that Simmons and Barrett, for example, are, we, we assume, high-character guys, leaders. We've seen them on some of these social justice videos. We've seen them out front on some program stuff. And then you see those two lumped in with younger players, like David Vincent O'Coli, like Junior Yusebu. And that's concerning. Older should show younger the right way. Uh, I do want to ask you this. Nine players on offense and the long snapper. Is David Vincent O'Coli on offense now? (laughs) Was he hanging out with the offense too much?
1: Oh, God. Mike, see, see, now this is where we get one story that's going to make some people mad, and then we're going to get into another discussion that's really (laughs) going to make some people mad. Um, I think he was probably hanging out with uh, noted offensive tackle Sean Martin. And <laughs> and who knows, man. I uh, I'm not I'm not even gonna dive into that with you, Michael. I, I will not do that.
0: I don't believe Martin played today. Did you see him? I did not. I don't have him on the dress list, I don't have him on the playing list, and I know he did not play tackle. I know I know Nick Malone played tackle. I don't think that he played tackle though. So right. um hey, two weeks from today, Oklahoma State, um lots of football tonight the I don't know, keep it going until you have a gap in between. So enjoy it while you can, and then we'll be back on the website. I don't know, tonight, tomorrow, all the next week. Um, I saved a bunch of stuff from last week, and I'm sure I'll have some left over stuff from today. So it's been a busy week, maybe a busier day than we expected to. I think we got enough to keep the balloon floating for a week, too.
1: Yeah, we got a lot of good stuff coming up next week. We'll have reviews from this game, uh, grades, more commentary. We'll open things up for um, – the new Q and a podcast. So we'll put that out well, later today or tomorrow sometime, put it on the board for our VIP members, to ask those questions. Got a lot of recruiting news coming up too, because uh, some new offers went out from the coaching staff. I'm going to try to reach out to the uh, quote unquote visitor that West Virginia had today, Porter's <laughs> brother, um, yeah. and, and see how that went. Assuming he made it and uh, we'll go from there.
0: Well, that is all for this time. We will see you next time for earsports.com. I'm Mike Kasazan. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.